I have to begin this morning by asking your patience because I want to read to you some very unfortunate words. Words that were written in a November 1951 letter to the dean of this seminary. The letter was from a donor and she wrote, I have been told that one or more Negroes are members of the student body. I do not contribute to schools in the South that take Negroes as students. Could the Virginia Theological Seminary for this school year admit all qualified white students? Can you imagine the feelings of a qualified Virginia applicant to have a Negro and one from Michigan given preference. Is the rumor true that the students of Virginia Theological Seminary are going to Negro restaurants with this man since he is not admitted to white restaurants? So long as the Virginia Theological Seminary is open to Negroes, I have made my last contribution. I take no particular pleasure in disturbing the dead, but if ever someone truly rolled over in their grave, <laughs> the individual who wrote that letter is probably doing so right now. <laughs> As we dedicate today's Eucharist to the memory of the Right Reverend John Thomas Walker, the first African-American Bishop of the Diocese of Washington, and before that, the first African-American student at VTS. He was the black man from Michigan, of all places, <laughs> who scandalized that donor almost 70 years ago a man who ably and lovingly served the church and the world until his dying day 30 years ago this past Monday. And I would like to mention that there is an exhibit about Bishop Walker in the Bishop Payne Library that you should all go and see. It is a tremendous honor for me to preside and to preach at this Eucharist for all of us who are students and alums of color at VTS, and especially those of African descent, follow in the giant footsteps of this faithful servant of God. John Thomas Walker was 26 years old when he said yes to God's call to help begin the long process of integrating this institution and the Episcopal Church, a process that is, frankly, still ongoing. I want you to imagine for a moment as he steps foot onto the campus for the first time, at the very center of a significant crossroads in American history. Remember now that this was several years before the 1954 Brown versus Board of Education court case that ended the legal doctrine of separate but equal. Remember, that up until the time of Bishop Walker's admission, African-Americans who might have wanted to attend this seminary instead were sent to the Bishop Payne Divinity School, 
a school with a proud history to be sure. But in the words of one of the Divinity School's internal documents, it was begun as an extension of the Theological Seminary in Virginia to educate Negro students for the ministry of the Episcopal Church. It was begun, in other words, in the crucible of racial segregation. And here was young Walker, entering a place where African Americans had heretofore been slaves and servants. He was here to help this place find its soul. Countless young people in the mid-20th century were called to push American life beyond its segregationist instincts, and he was one of them, as were some of his classmates who received him as a brother in Christ. Bishop Walker was born in Barnesville, Georgia in 1925, but he grew up in Detroit, Michigan, coming from a line of ministers in the African Methodist Episcopal Church. His family was poor. He was the son of a sharecropper, and according to his son, Tommy, he was brought up in what we would call poverty of a kind that ought not to exist anywhere. But his family believed in the importance of education, and he was able to go to college. It was while he was a student at Wayne State University that he was first drawn to the Episcopal Church through the Cathedral of St. Paul in Detroit. He became a postulant and wound up coming to seminary directly after graduating. One imagines that it might not have been an easy decision for a black man in that time and in that place to leave the AME Church of his heritage for a largely white denomination. But whatever the cost may have been, he said yes, because he heard God's call. He went on, of course, to have an illustrious ministry in the Episcopal Church. As the dean of the Washington National Cathedral and as the Bishop of Washington, he rubbed elbows with presidents, with other dignitaries, and with royalty. His voice and his actions influenced public policy and changed lives for the better. Not only was he a formidable force in this country, but his reach stretched across the globe. To name only perhaps the most notable example, he was tireless in his efforts to end apartheid in South Africa. Bishop Walker's biographer writes of him, a powerful man, in a city that revolves around power. Walker wore his authority lightly. He lived modestly, spoke quietly, listened carefully. The biographer paints a picture of a devoted pastor, a strong and wise shepherd of his flock. He made as much time for the poor and the troubled as he did for the rich and powerful. He treated young people with dignity and respect. When a high school freshman wrote to him wanting to learn the path that he should follow to become a bishop, Bishop Walker, <laughs> Bishop Walker concluded his gracious and pastoral response by saying, over the years, God has been good to me as a servant in the church. I believe that at each stage, 
Our Lord, through the Holy Spirit, has called me to various positions in this church. He calls every baptized Christian to service. It may be that he will call you to be a priest or even a bishop. Wait on his call and pray that you may hear it in the right way. Do not be afraid to listen. In the meantime, be obedient to your parents and faithful to the church and our Lord. And we will also pray for you here in this cathedral that God will guide and protect you always. Not only was Bishop Walker loving to those who sought his advice or sang his praises, but he also was loving even to those who insulted him. Someone once wrote to him in an inflammatory tone because of his support of the ordination of women. He replied, and this is, I think, a little bit of tough love, actually. <laughs> it is my prayer that your heart may be turned to more loving ways, even if we forever disagree on this matter. It is only in the spirit of love that true unity can grow. I invite you into a relationship of Christian love with me and others who disagree with you, even as I have with many of your associates. Try it. It is wonderfully cleansing. <laughs> By all accounts, here was a man who was influential, yet down to earth. Firm in his pr principles and a possessor of a strong backbone in a conflict, yet unwavering in his good-natured respect and love for all. How did these different attributes manage to come together so beautifully in this one life? I turn again to my imagination to answer that question. Imagine with me another scene, this time with Bishop Walker's mother, Mattie W. Walker. In the words of Tommy Walker, despite her heartaches, Mattie Walker gave to her son a sense of the wonder and mystery of God. She sang hymns to him from his earliest days in Georgia. Can't you see young John sitting lovingly in his mother's lap or at her feet? Can't you hear her voice, perhaps singing, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of his grace? Something tells me that every now and then young John might have heard Maddie Walker at the end of a hard day start to recite, and it might very well have been in the King James Version, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. Yes, I believe young John heard those words every now and then. And as he grew, he heard old Ezekiel in the words of today's lesson talking about how God seeks out and rescues and gathers and feeds the flock. And then he heard the risen Lord suggesting that the love of God might just overflow and cause you to tend and to feed the sheep.
And by the grace of God, young John began to believe the truth to which Scripture testifies in so many ways, that we serve a God whose love and care and provision for us is overflowing. And oh, what power we have when we begin to lead our lives out of the assurance of God's abundance. This, it seems to me, was the strength of Bishop John Thomas Walker. So I can see him out there, not only up here on the screens, but in my mind's eye, I can see him out there on that grove, walking up to Aspenwall Hall one fine September morning in 1951. And I can just see him saying to himself, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Whatever American racism and white supremacy had to throw at this Negro from Michigan, it could not stand against that assurance. There is a reason why these words are some of the most beloved in Scripture. They speak to that part of each one of us that sometimes feels small and insignificant. When we feel weak, these words help us to feel our strength in the Lord. When we feel beaten down and oppressed, they help to lift us back up in the knowledge of the living God whose power is unmatched. This is just as important today as it was on that morning in 1951. The work that Bishop Walker began on this campus and in this church is yet unfinished. We have much work to do to become a truly intercultural space and church. But the Lord is our shepherd, and we shall not want. We serve a God whose excessive love overflows and will not abandon us to our divisions nor to the tragedies of our history. So following the example of one of our finest, Bishop John Thomas Walker, let us as a community surrender ourselves and our limited agendas, and let us receive the restoration of our souls by the riches of God's grace. Amen.